Welcome to IFA Talk, IFA Magazine's weekly podcast. IFA Talk is for professional investors only. Thank you. Thanks very much for joining us for the latest episode of IFA Talk, IFA Magazine's weekly podcast, where we talk to people who matter about the things that matter in the world of financial services. I'm Brandon Russell, online writer here at IFA Magazine, and joining me on the podcast this week is our editor, Sue Whitbread. Hi, everybody. Um, We're talking fixed interest today, and... Goodness me, 2022 was a bumpy year, What well, that's for sure. And But since then, fixed income really has been pick of the pops for many investment managers. So um, Brandon and I thought it was time that we delved into fixed income on this podcast. Look at the reasons behind it, the popularity and what may lie ahead for the sector too. So our guest this week is Robert Ulster and Robert is CIO at Close Brothers Asset Management. And he is ideally placed to just talk us through what's going on. So, Robert, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for joining us today. Hi, thanks for having me. Well, you're very welcome. Could I ask you just to introduce yourself a little bit to listeners and maybe tell us a bit about your role at Close? Yeah, certainly. So I've been um, in the financial services industry for coming up to 30 years now. Um, before that, I was actually in industry proper in the coal mining industry for about eight years. So I always- I appreciate that. (laughs) So I always joke I'm one of the few people who actually had a real job before financial (laughs) services as well. But um, so Close Brothers Asset Management, we provide investment advice, service, um, and asset management for um, high net worth individuals, but we also operate funds as well. And we're running around 17 billion of sterling of assets. Um, we have a, a long-term investment philosophy on behalf of our clients. And um, we invest globally as well across all the different asset classes, fixed interest as we're about to talk to today, but also equities and alternatives and passives as well and other managers across the whole spectrum. And in terms of my role, it's chief investment officer. And each chief investment officer at a different firm does slightly different things. So in my case, I'm responsible for the, the asset allocation framework, how we get to the asset allocation that we believe in, and we, we believe will obviously add value on behalf of our clients. And I'm also responsible for the funds business. We're split between sort of regular funds, and then you can also have bespoke investment managers looking after your portfolios, especially if you've got you know, larger sums of, of money to invest. And lastly, on research, the provision of research, because that's how we come to our investment decisions. It's by fundamental research about hiring analysts who are expert in their fields, including fixed interest, as we have today. Um, so I'm responsible for them. And lastly, through also promulgating and communicating the view. Hence, of course, some today and joining you on the podcast. So that's a rough and ready uh, sort of potpourri of what I'm responsible for. Brandon, I think we've got the right man for the job. Yeah, definitely. So (laughs) thanks for coming on the podcast today. On fixed income then, why has 2023 been hailed as the year of the bond? What factors have contributed to the resurgence of fixed income? And with yields on the rise, where could investors look for a safe haven bond? I guess to answer that question, we, we have to sort of go back before 2023, when, you know, fixed income and the poor fund managers and analysts in our firm and elsewhere 
um, were tearing their hair out a bit because fixed income as an asset class, investable asset class, was just seen as as dead, really. There was just no value there at all. Because we all know why. It's because of quantitative easing, forcing down interest rates and yields across asset classes, bonds in particular. So there was no real value there. And then towards the tail end of 2022, when we had that now notorious sort of trustonomics budget, we had a big change in the interest rate cycle. We'd come out of the pandemic. Economists started to revive. Governments and central banks wanted to reduce um, debt on the balance sheet and interest rates started to normalise. All of a sudden, fixed income from about September 22 onwards became a really thriving asset class as yields picked up. And, you know, staggering, really. They went from, you know, like 0.2 or 3% up to the sort of today's level of 5 6%. And that was a huge turnaround in an asset class. And that's as we're talking about the tail end of 2022 into 23, is what made um, fixed income really a key asset class in 2023 um, and, and be a complete and utter turnaround and resurgence. And the question, of course, now is sort of what happens next. But that's, that's the process we've been through. And then alongside that, of course, you can't forget inflation. Inflation came back. Central banks decided this was a, a policy that they were going to stop inflation running away, control and reduce. To do that, they used the big lever of interest rates and central banks basically throughout the world, not just, of course, in the UK, but continental Europe um, and the US as well, decided that they'd rise in, increase interest rates. And that, of course, has an immediate knock-on effect to the fixed income market and not just guilds, government guilds. Um, increased in yields, but also, you know, corporate bonds as well and, and high yield, all the different um, strata of fixed interest came into play. So that is a sort of rough and ready where the last 12 months and before, why we've ended up at this point. You just alluded to it there, didn't you, Robert? The investment landscape is really shifting. And in the US, they're continuing to fight inflation like here, aiming for a soft landing. Well, I guess the election will say about that but uh, I wonder which areas then if you could talk to uh, which areas of fixed income are outperforming I wonder about emerging market debt perhaps for example uh, and also are there any particular countries that you are close and the team that are keeping a close eye on yeah um, I have to start off at sort of higher level and say we think fixed income as an asset class we're, we're very positive on it and the reason for that is we think that interest rates have peaked essentially and inflation is on the way down. We, we haven't killed the inflation dragon, but it's sort of mortally wounded essentially. And so we believe there's a downward path to interest rates, maybe one, two hikes left, but essentially interest rates are going to decline. And in that environment, um, fixed interest does well. So. You know, my fixed income fund managers are all excited coming in the morning because they're thinking, you know, where can we move next? Where are we going to be able to invest on clients' behalf? Um, so with the US led the way into this and is going to lead the way out. Um, and so we spend a lot of time 
looking at US treasuries and government financials, the path of interest rates. Is it going to be the next meeting, the meeting after? Which which one should it be at the two year, 10 year, 30 year? So we do a lot of analysis on that. And and the same is true of Gilbert's because you know we're, most of our clients are based in the UK. They have UK assets. So there's a sort of currency sort of liability asset matching that we want to do there. Um, and so we'll do exactly the same analysis um, in terms of the Bank of England. And like everybody else, we become monetary policy committee watchers trying to guess who's going to vote which way and which direction interest rates are going to go there. And then again, it's the same, it's with gilts. And gilts, we think, are looking you know, reasonably attractive. So the question becomes at, at what level? And there's an issue about duration, which is a technical term about you like the weighted average of your fixed interest book and how sensitive it is to interest rates and, and classically if you think interest rates are going to come down you have longer duration more sensitivity and vice versa there's a big issue and debate where should we be on that sort of weighted average um uh sort of almost like a a, a swing in a playground, you know, should you be in the middle towards one end or not? And at the moment, we're basically neutral. We're waiting for that turning interest rates to come back. Um, we don't look at emerging markets, though. For us, that's too high risk. You know, we're getting yields of sort of 5% on governments. We can get six, if not more, on really high quality corporate bonds of companies that, you know, we followed for a long time. So for us, going to an emerging market, taking on all that extra risk in terms of its politics, geopolitical risk, for us at this stage isn't really worth it. So the answer to your question is basically developed markets. Sounds, sounds very sensible to me. With yields like that, what, who could argue against that? You are listening to IFA Talk, IFA Magazine's weekly podcast. Subscribe to us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts to be notified as soon as a new episode becomes available. And follow us on LinkedIn, Twitter and Instagram at IFA Magazine. When it comes to diversifying portfolios, what are the key benefits of adding fixed income into an investor's portfolio? Yeah, this is a really crucial question in a way that has, has come under a lot of debate because obviously the classic portfolio that we run and others run is called the 60-40, where you have 60% in equities, 40% in bonds. That's your sort of overall asset allocation. You may tweak that around the edges according to what you think is going to happen to economies and interest rates, but that's broadly it. And then it becomes a question of how good is your security selection in equities and in fixed interest. And the idea was, of course, is that the bonds provide a counterweight a less risky counterweight to the equities, which have growth, but also have higher risk as well. And that was rather shot down when all asset classes effectively in 2022 moved together. And there was no diversification. And diversification is the only free lunch in finance, really, basically. It's the only way you can get uh, a balanced book of returns through time for without actually paying up for it. So fixed income was always seen as the great diversifier. 2022, that didn't work. Um, fund managers, clients, investors, very badly burnt. There was virtually nowhere to hide about. The only asset class that went up in 2022 was um, large cap 
London-based um, UK equities for reasons to do with obviously a lot of oils, for example, and energy prices soared. So the question is: Is this sixty forty um, back in back in vogue? Is it still working? And the answer is yes. And we still believe that longer term, the sixty forty portfolio works. That it's very important to always have. Um, a, a, a large weighting and significant weighting to fixed income to offset the higher risks um, in equity. And we just think that 2022 is going to be proven as an aberrant year. Um, the counter arguments to that are all about demographics changing longer term, but I think those arguments are very long term. I think the 60-40 portfolio, and it has shown to be true so far, and I know I'm only nine months into this calendar year, but hey, um, you know, we certainly believe that 6040 is the way to go, that fixed income generates good return for investors, um, capital's preserved, uh, you know, all both the investment grade corporate market and the gilt market, you get very, very good liquidity. So there's a lot of positives um, pointing towards holding fixed income in anyone's portfolio. I guess, Robert, there's a sort of comparing it to where the value is in equities also. So whilst you're seeing the value in fixed interest as a sector, but also it's the, the inherent risk of volatility that from that equity portion, which really you've got to weigh up in asset allocation decisions such as those that you make. Yes, that's a very good point. Um, as a multi-asset investor, we sort of view the world in three buckets as equities, fixed income and what? is called alternatives, things like gold, commodities, uh, infrastructure projects, you know, wind farms, solar farms, very project-related type of companies. Um, and also hedge funds, for example. So it's, it's like a, it's a potpourri of everything that's left that isn't a standard equity or a share or a standard bond in fixed income land. So you're, you're right, we, we have to take account of both the growth um, projections, forecasts of each of those asset classes and the valuations. And we haven't really spoken much about that, but in equity land, you're looking at valuations. Um, you're looking at typically things like cash flow yield. Um, you're looking at what multiple of profits is any share price of any company trading on. And you can have a, a lot of debate about that. And we do. And in fixed income as well, of course, you're reading across to, hey, where are interest rates going? We think they're peaking and we believe economies are slowing and recent economic data um, out of Germany, for example, and even the UK with the purchasing manager indices sliding away. These are forecasts of what people in companies are going to be buying looking forward. It's clear that economies are slowing. So interest rates are likely to come down, which is what is our positive thesis on fixed income. So you're thinking, hey, you're getting quite a yield here compared to even traditional equity markets. So there's obviously, look, fixed interest is looking very, very attractive, but it is a trade-off. At some point, when interest rates come down, then fixed interest will lose its attractiveness and equities at that point will have the traditional growth characteristics. You know, look at what's been happening with technology shares, etc. So then the market switches and you have to make those asset allocation calls um, accordingly, which is why back in 22, started off 
talking about that. That was a very big move from virtually having very little fixed interest to having a lot of it. So because we understood that yields were going up and fixed interest was attractive. And there's many different models and ways of valuing all of this, which um, myself, the research team, and the asset heads who are heading up equities, fixed interest, et cetera, all look at literally on a daily basis. And we have monthly meetings to discuss and debate what we're all thinking. Now, often we can't all agree, but that debate, of course, is necessary for people to basically take part in and reach a decision that we can back, or if we don't back it, we can at least see where the North Star is, even if individuals want to differ from it. And that's how we work as a basically a collegiate organisation. Good. Well, we're rapidly coming to the, the close of the podcast. And, uh, I'd like you to dust down your crystal ball for us, Robert, if you wouldn't mind, and uh, start to look into the future a little bit. You just touched on it then. I wonder what your outlook is looking ahead to next year, to 2024, uh, for fixed income, uh, and, and where you see it looking for next year. Yeah, so it's lucky I brought along the crystal ball, obviously. So um, very useful tool, crystal balls. So in terms of our crystal ball, the way we're thinking about it is that inflation is going to fall. Uh, it'll still be positive and there'll be listeners still, you know, struggling and thinking about inflation, but it's going to be far less than they've experienced in the last year and following. Um, and that means that um, we're going to start talking about interest rate cuts because it's falling and economies are slowing. And that's the UK, US and Europe. So at some point, there's going to be this pivot and governments and central banks are going to start thinking and talking about, well, hey, we're going to have to cut interest rates here. Have we overdone it? Have we pulled interest rates up too fast, too, too quickly? We're now seeing the disbenefits of that a cooling economy, interest rates are going to have to come down. Um, and so that's the point when fixed interest is going to have its sort of, not last hurrah, but a long hurrah, a long positive rate, getting and generating total returns as those rates come down. Um, and that's what we think. Um, and that's the crystal ball view. And at this stage, we are sort of neutral duration. We've got a government's investment grade corporates we're doing the work on individual ones we've got to watch out about the corporates because the economy is slow there may be some question marks there and then at some point we'll move duration longer and get more gearing into those falling rates so that's basically how we're seeing it and the equity book we've got similar concerns about well if economies are slowing which other companies we have to watch out for because they're going to have profit warnings and they if we're holding their bonds as well that can have implications because it affects their cash flows, et cetera, their ability to, to um, refinance. So all of this is interlinked, but that's broadly where we're seeing it. And where I'm going to be wrong, because everyone says, oh, what are the risks to your view? And the risk to the view and where I'll be wrong is if inflation stays higher for longer. And that you and I and Brennan meet in sort of some point in 2024 and inflation is still, I don't know, pick a number of four, five, six percent, um, then then that will be, our view would have been proven wrong and I'll have to get a new crystal ball, basically. Yeah, and with the oil price looking the way it's going, it, that, that risk really is on the table, isn't it? 
Yes, I mean, we do look at the commodities, um, the oil price. I mean, we're less intensive in terms of our dependency on oil than we were in past decades. And this has been driven by OPEC and a desire for their revenue to finance their own countries. And there's not a lot of other spare capacity around. And that's what's pushing this oil prices up. But if we're right about the slowing economies, then that will eventually have a knock-on effect to demand for oil. The wild card, of course, is Russia and the Ukraine conflict. But that aside, um, yeah, we think the, the, there is a sort of natural cap on that oil price as economies slow. Well, Robert, thank you very much indeed for that whistle-stop tour of fixed income markets. And I'm sure our listeners will have found it very interesting, as indeed certainly did I. So thank you so much for your time today. And uh, we hope the crystal ball is right and that the forecasts, the risks do not come to fruition. And we just have to say a big, big thank you for joining us again. You're welcome. Thank you. IFA Talk is for investment professionals only. All material has been carefully checked for accuracy, but no responsibility can be accepted for inaccuracies. Whatever appropriate, independent research and whatever necessary legal advice should be sought before acting on any information contained in this podcast. And value of investments and income from them can go down as well as up. You may not get back the amount you originally invested.